Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh. So he may give eternal life to all you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given to me are from you. Because the words that you gave me, I have given them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, because they are yours. Everything I have is yours, and everything you have is mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost, except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so they may also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one, as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they be made completely one, so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire those you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me 
before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will make it known, so the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. Good evening, uh, everyone. My name's James, um, part of the team here. I add my welcome to that of Jai. Uh, if you're new or visiting amongst us, or we haven't met, I'd love to meet you as well. I've forgotten the clicker. Give me... That's right. I want to ask you, as I grab it, um, what the biggest project is you've ever been a part of. Whoops, that one. Uh, biggest project you've ever been a part of, maybe at work, um, might be uh, building something or, or some kind of uh, business enterprise, maybe at uni. What is the biggest, biggest thing that you've had a hand in? Uh, one of the, I've seen this ad on TV. I've tried to take some screenshots of it for Seabus Super. The, the dad and the son are driving along the road um, and they look out at this building on the right. I'm not sure if you've seen it. And the, the dad says to the son, oh, I built that. Uh, and he's very proud of himself and the son just looks up and doesn't seem to yeah, be that interested. Um, but being part of something big is, I think, a natural inclination we all have. And in this chapter, John 17, uh, we get an insight into the biggest, grandest project in all of eternity. And what's more, Jesus prays about it. Jesus Praise about it. Prayers reveal what's on someone's heart, what matters to them most. And we get Jesus here praying for God's uh, eternal plan to make himself known to the world, to reveal his glory, to draw out a people from the world that would belong to him and know him and have eternal life. And Jesus prays about it. Uh, the context is, um, I'll come back to it. The context is that uh, we're, Jesus is at the end of his five-chapter speech to his disciples the night before he's going to be crucified. He's about to leave uh, and leave the disciples behind because he's about to die on the cross. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know that uh, Jesus has been teaching the disciples all kinds of things about um, what the mission will look like, the help of the Holy Spirit, all those kinds of things. But now he prays, summing up some of the things he said in this uh, these requests to God. Now, there's a, there's a lot in the chapter, isn't there? Uh, 26 verses, rich in, in deep ideas about Jesus and who he is. I read in my preparation uh, that one uh, figure from church history preached 45 sermons uh, on this chapter. There's just so much in it. Um, you'll be pleased to know that I'm not trying to squeeze 45 sermons worth of stuff into tonight, but it gives you an indication of just how important this chapter is. It's Jesus's longest recorded prayer. So often we pray to Jesus or, th or through Jesus to the Father, but here we get an insight into Jesus praying. Isn't that just an astonishing privilege to look into Jesus' prayer to his Father? Now, like big projects, um, it proceeds in stages. Anyone involved in project management and knows what a Gantt chart is. Just throw your hand up. 
a couple, oh, there you go, a couple of people, a bit more than last night. Um, you might, it's the, don't worry about the name, it's just the idea that when you have a big project, um, often it's helpful to break it up into smaller tasks which sort of back onto each other. You finish phase A, you move on to phase B. And that's actually a, quite a helpful approach to unfolding the structure of Jesus' prayer. Because we're going to see that first uh, he prays for himself. I've called this the foundations of glory. Glory comes up a bit in the chapter. Um, God's mission is to glorify himself. Um, the foundations of glory, Jesus prays for himself. Then in verses 6 to 19, we're going to see that Jesus prays for the messengers of glory, the, the apostles, the first disciples. Um, then we see that Jesus prays for the people of glory, the church. That's us. Jesus prays for us. So that's, that's a handy structure just to navigate our way through uh, the stuff in here. Um, so let's begin. Uh, verses 1 to 5, Jesus prays uh, for himself. Have a look there in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Glory, glory and glorifying, the, one of those Christian jargony words. What does it mean? It means when someone's essential character, what makes them good and, and splendid and majestic is, is revealed and, and they get the, the fame and honour that they are due when their goodness is celebrated. Um, but what's the glory that Jesus is speaking of here? He says, glorify your son. And when that happens, you will be glorified as well. Well, I think there's a hint in the first part of that verse when Jesus talks about the hour. The hour has come. Right throughout John, Jesus talks about a coming hour, a coming moment, which hasn't arrived yet, but now it has arrived. And if you just go back a couple of pages to chapter 12, I'll read them as well, but... Chapter 12, uh, from about verse 22, Jesus is in Jerusalem uh, at the beginning of the Passover festival. That's the week of his crucifixion. Some people come to him wanting to see him. And verse 23, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he explains it in verse 24. He says, I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. Um, in God's plans, it was always going to take a death to bring life. Uh, and Jesus' hour has come. Verse 27, in, in contemplation of his coming death, Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. That's easy to understand. Anyone's soul would be troubled. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus, back in chapter 17, as he prays that God would glorify his son, he's asking that God would bring about the completion of the plan for Jesus to be arrested and, and to be sentenced to death, to be killed. Jesus is praying that the plan for, for the atonement, the redemption of humanity through Jesus' death, he's asking that that would, would come about. It's, it's, isn't that just an outrageous thing to pray? That your 
awful, excruciating death uh, would come about. But for Jesus and for the Father, this, this is the pinnacle of glory. The cross, when Jesus died, isn't a place of shame. It's a place of honour. It's where he purchased eternal life for his people by his blood. That is glorious. That is a glorious moment of God revealing his heart to the world when Jesus dies. And then verse 5, he says, Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. I think Jesus knows that as he comes to the bottom of his, his descent to, to, the, to death, he knows that after that uh, he will be resurrected and will ascend I- into glory again, the kind of glory that he had before um, you know, he came to earth. Folks, God is glorified supremely in Jesus' death. I wonder if... Uh, that's your understanding of how God is glorified. I, I, I was thinking this week about this fellow, Richard Harris. He was one of the Thai, the cave divers that was involved in the Thai cave rescue a few years ago. Perhaps some knowing looks. Um, I'd never heard of him before the, these events a few years ago. Um, if you don't know the events, there was a soccer team, young Thai boys, trapped in a cave and this Australian guy went over and was involved in the rescue. But see, he, his glory, he has glory now. He's famous. He received the Australian of the Year Award, but his glory, what, what is celebrated, was not the fact that he's a doctor or anything like that, that he's good at diving, but he was willing to go into the depths of the cave to rescue these boys, risking his life. Um, and, of course, being successful in the rescue mission. And it's the same with Jesus uh, and God the Father. They are glorified uh, in Jesus' death, which was the, the centrepiece of their rescue mission. Um, as I was saying a moment ago, is this your understanding of how God is glorified? It's not primarily in... Um, building grand cathedrals like in Europe. It's not primarily in um, beautiful scenery in the natural environment, although those things do glorify God. Jesus is supremely glorified. God the Father is supremely glorified in Jesus' death. And that's what Jesus is praying for, that it would come about. So they're the foundations of glory. The, The moment upon which the rescue mission hinges. And then Jesus goes on to pray for the messengers of glory. Wouldn't it be awful and uh, just hopeless if Jesus went, did these things, paid for the, the sins of the world on the cross, and then the mission just ended there? Um, what was needed in, in this plan uh, and in God's wisdom, was that the message of salvation uh, focused on the cross would go out to the world, that everyone would hear and uh, respond to this message from God and receive salvation. And so Jesus understands that because he's going out of the world, 
the baton is passed to the apostles. And he prays for them. So who are we talking about? Verse 6. I have revealed your name to the men you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that all things you have given to me are from you because the words that you gave me I have given them. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. This is the... um, the 12 or perhaps 11 at this point, um, ordinary Jewish men uh, set apart by God, tasked with taking the message of Jesus' glory to the world. They're, They're qualified. They've received Jesus. They've understood and believed that he is from the Father. The teaching Jesus has received from the Father and handed on, they've embraced it. These are the, the early adopters, the first people of Christian faith. And the importance of their mission cannot be overstated. The importance of their mission cannot be overstated. Remember the big plan that God would glorify himself, make himself known, draw people to himself that they might have life. It rests on the, on the shoulders of these ordinary men. Jesus prays for them as he ought. Um, I'm reminded a little bit, maybe it's because I was in New Zealand recently, of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring, which is um, early in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. If I, I won't try and, try and summarise the story. I m- might get a detail wrong and be hounded down. Um, they've got to take this, this ring back to Mount Doom, save the world, yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> And uh, there's this very somber and serious moment um, when the, the band of people, the, the hobbits and, and the other warriors, come together uh, and become this fellowship of the ring. And, and it's a very serious wait as, as they contemplate what's ahead of them. Um, it's a bit like that with the disciples. We, we mustn't, you cannot overstate the importance of the mission given to the disciples. If if they had failed, we would not be here. There would be no church. It's not that they are more important than Jesus or anything like that, but in God's plan, the message about Jesus' glory would be disseminated through the apostles. And so Jesus prays for them. Um, He prays lots of things. There's lots in these verses, and we can't really cover it all, but one main theme that emerges is that these men need protection. Jesus is no longer in the world, but the apostles are. Uh, Verse 11 and 12. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name. And so on and so forth. In verse 15, we see it again. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world. Um, that wouldn't make sh- much sense to the mission um, if they all just gathered in their holy huddle and didn't interact with the rest of the world. The message would hardly get out that way. Um, we may be guilty of that mindset from time to time. 
not to take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, Jesus knows what's at stake. Their protection. They will face opposition like Jesus did from Jewish leaders, from political authorities. And all of it will be underpinned and led by the evil one, Satan. His job, his plan is to undermine and frustrate God's plan. So these ordinary men need protection. Um, And folks, uh, these prayers have been answered. These prayers have been answered. We, We know that. We're a living legacy. Uh, on the one hand, we've, we've got their words in front of us, the New Testament. The, the New Testament is, is the apostolic explanation of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. We have their testimony. Um, we are an apostolic church. I wonder if you think that sounds strange. Maybe you're used to that terminology uh, in connection with Greek or, or some other ethnicity. Um, no, but we are an apostolic church founded on the, the work and message of the apostles, their witness to Jesus. Um, all true churches are apostolic. That's why it's so... Uh, disastrous and lamentable when people claiming to be followers of Jesus, claiming to be Christian churches, depart from the apostolic word because they are the, the God-given link in the chain, historically speaking, between Jesus and the church. You can't access Jesus apart from the apostolic word. All right, let's move on. Oh, I've still got the Lord of the Rings picture out there. Um, messengers of glory. Aren't we grateful that these prayers were answered and that we have access through them to the message about Jesus? Now, this is a multi-stage mission, multi-stage project, uh, as the Gantt chart uh, indicates. And in verse 20, Jesus shifts from praying for the disciples, the first witnesses, to the rest of the church. Verse 20, I pray not only for these, you know, the the original apostles, but also for those who believe in me through their message. That's us. That that is the church. (laughs) You've got to pause and appreciate this. We pray to Jesus. We we pray... um, to the Father in Jesus' name, Um, here, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for you. The the Lord of the universe. Um, He is praying for you. And he continues to pray. It wasn't just in this moment. He's continuing to speak to the Father on our behalf. But isn't this this moment just stunning? Um, Jesus prays for us. And I'm sure his prayers get answered. Sometimes I feel like my prayers don't get answered. Um, Jesus' prayers, they get answered. Um, Now, what does he pray? Uh, Verse 21. May they all be one 
as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be one in us. Uh, verse 22, may they be one. Verse 23, may they be made completely one. Um, I think Jesus is praying that we would be one. Um, he's praying for unity. He's praying that the church would be united. That's the main theme of his prayer. Now, how do we tackle a question of unity? It's, it's an important one. We, I mean, we could think high level, different denominations and all these kinds of things. Apparently, there's 22,000 or thereabouts Protestant denominations in the world. That's a lot, isn't it? Um, uh, on the one hand, maybe it is a bit lamentable that there are uh, um, such a, a myriad of different denominations. And maybe if you're here and not a Christian, or maybe you know someone, that's an argument that it all seems a bit off. Can't Christians get along? Why do they need to keep splitting into different branches and churches? Um, on the other hand, uh, unity does not equal uniformity. Uh, unity does not equal uniformity. I don't think anywhere in creation, let alone the church, God requires us to be completely uh, the, identical to one another, the same. In fact, unity, I think, is more impressive when people from different backgrounds and different um, church styles, different languages. I mean, we, we're going to hear from the Hadfields later on. We couldn't really have a, a church combined with a church in Singapore in a different language. There needs to be different types of churches. But when all the different Christians around the world in, with different styles of, of worship and what have you, when with one voice we acknowledge Jesus, well, that's impressive. That's what Jesus is praying about. And of course, you may know that in the history of the Christian church, some leaders, some denominations place unity above truth. They say, well, we must be united and therefore we'll disregard this part of the apostolic message. Well, that's, that's not the right way to apply this passage because Jesus says, look at verse 21, may they also be one in us. The foundation of unity is not uh, an organisation um, it's, it's Jesus and it's the message about Jesus from the apostles now I've been speaking in the I guess the theoretical realm the, the big picture I think perhaps the best lesson from these verses is to consider ourselves and our local gathering that's the, the most obvious place that the world will observe the people of glory the local church gathering we must be one. We must be united. And it's not unity in the sense of an absence of hostility. No, it's unity, something like what exists between the Father and the Son. May they be one as we are one. A depth of commitment and love that speaks to the world around us of, of something supernatural. See, the quality of relationships amongst us will either weaken uh, or advance the teaching of the gospel. There's a lot at stake. Look at verse 21. Why does Jesus pray this? So the world may believe you sent me. It's there again in verse 23. So the world may know you have sent me. 
Folks, we have a, a crucial role to play in this plan. To exercise such love towards one another uh, that the world would see in us Jesus. It's not that our unity alone uh, conveys the gospel message. No, of course, that doesn't make sense. But the quality of relationships in this room will either weaken and undermine or enhance and complement the teaching of the gospel. There's a lot in this, isn't there? There's a lot in this. I want to ask you again, what's the biggest project you've been a part of? You read a chapter like this and you can see that uh, we are a living legacy. We are a living legacy. We are answers to Jesus' prayer. And God has brought us, he's brought you in, into this astonishing, eternal plan to bring God glory and to make himself known. Isn't that outrageous? That's outrageous. Why don't we pray that we would take this high calling uh, seriously, take great delight in the privilege God's given us, and also discern what we can do um, to advance this mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you purposed in the beginning of the world to send Jesus uh, to reconcile and, and bring back to yourself sinful humanity. Uh, we know we're guilty of sin and we thank you that Jesus did die on the cross and um, establish the, the redemption we need. We thank you for the messengers of glory, the apostles who have um, proclaimed this message and handed it down to us uh, in, in your word, the Bible. Please help us to um, take our calling as your people in this world seriously. Help us to live unified and, and different lives as compared to the world around us that uh, in us uh, your glory might be seen and that people would know that Jesus uh, is the only Lord of this world and the only effective Saviour. And we pray for help in all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um,